Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. You ready? Hold your Bible to heaven with me and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. We're talking about today's church. This is our second message from last week. Our opening text is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. And this is the English Standard Version of the Bible. This is the way it reads. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. That's why I wanted this translation. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hallelujah. We talk, if, you, if you weren't here last week, real quick, we'll get you up to date. Last week we talked about the fact that God, in the person of the Father, you could say in the Old Testament, lived or dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant where? In the temple. But in the gospel era, he dwelt in, the second person dwelt in a physical body where God was manifested on earth in a physical body, right? Wasn't he uh, manifested in the flesh? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, then on the day of Pentecost was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So God in the person of the Holy Spirit descended, or you could say his advent, on the day of Pentecost. And what did he do? He entered into, not the temple, not a physical body provided by him like Jesus had, but every individual person, cloven tongues like as a fire came on him. And then as Jesus says, he's with you, but he will be in you. He entered into each one and they all became individual temples of the living God. So individually and collectively were temples of the living God. And we saw the pattern or the effect that it had upon these people. What took place? They, in the power of the Spirit, operated the thing, in the things of God. They preached the gospel with power. They were excited about Jesus. Everywhere they went, they talked about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were united. They cared for each other and took care of each other's needs. They were people that were given to worship and praise. They went from house to house, worshiping and praising God all the time, being joyful in Him. And then they witnessed the power of God to save. The power of God that shook. It shook the very place that they were assembled together. And it impacted everywhere they went. It impacted the people in the place 
We are told that they turned the world upside down everywhere they went. We also saw that it was what? A, a church that was militant. A militant people attacking the works of darkness. Just as Jesus did when he walked upon the earth. They attacked sickness. They attacked demonic oppression, obsession, even possession. And they cast out devils and they healed the sick and set the captives free. It was a church that was feared by all and it, because they feared the living God. And so we see that that was the, the character of the early church. Well, let me ask a question this morning. Should today's church be any different than that church was back then? Should we as individuals be any less enthusiastic about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ than what they were? Mm -mm. So as we continue our study, what we discover is this. The scriptures or the Bible is not at all silent about what the church is all about. The function, the purpose of the church is very clearly stated in the scriptures. Every one of us individually and collectively is a temple of the Most High God. And we are here for one main purpose manifesting itself in three ways. The main purpose is to glorify God. We are here to glorify God. Amen. Individually, you're here to glorify God. Collectively, we are here to glorify God. Not to entertain one another, but to glorify God in our midst and believe that when we assemble together he will appear he will manifest himself and his glory will be manifested among us amen that's why and we're going to see it in three ways that we can really glorify God we glorify him in worship he deserves to be worshiped we glorify him in discipleship where we grow in him and we mature and also in evangelism where we reach out beyond these four walls and we evangelize the world that we live in. In our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. Okay, so one day God is going to dwell on earth among men literally. One day. But until that day comes, he's dwelling in you. He's dwelling in me. What an honor. Remember Paul said, what, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Would you have a God and you're not your own? So glorify God in your body and in your spirit that belong to whom? To God. You see, that day is going to come. Quickly, I'll give you an update. The next event on his calendar of events, the rapture of the church. We just heard the song all about it. He's coming in clouds of glory. And if you're ready, you're saved, you're washed in the blood. We're going to hear his voice. The grave is going to open. Dead in Christ is going to rise. We're going to meet him in the air. Praise God. Thank God for that. But then seven years of tribulation here upon this earth like the world has never seen before. You don't want to be any part of that. At the end of the seven years, there's going to be Jesus returning in the second coming. And there's going to be the battle of Armageddon that will take place. And he will defend Israel. And Israel is going to accept him as Messiah and his blood shed for their redemption. After that 1,000 year millennial reign of Christ, when he takes the devil himself and puts him to the bottomless pit, the abyss for 1,000 years to harass no one any longer here upon this planet. And for 1,000 years, the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll come as the Prince of Peace, praise God, the Mighty One, and he will reign in peace over the earth for 1,000 years and show us what life can be like without a devil or a demon or anybody disrupting peace. After the end of the 1,000 year reign, what's going to happen? He's going to be loose for a season. Why? Because all those people that went through the millennial reign that were born in that time didn't have a chance to have their faith challenged. But they will during that time. And some will probably side with the devil, but I would say the majority wouldn't. But for that little season, he'll be loose for that little season. And then that will happen. But then comes the battle of Gog and Magog. 
Hallelujah. And that's when the devil is going to be spewed out of the mouth of Jesus. He's going to put him in a lake of fire. Him, death, hell, the grave, all that's there is going to go in the lake of fire for an, e for an eternity. And that includes the great white throne judgment and all that that will take place. And then the new heavens and the new earth. And there won't be a need for the sun or any other light. Because the glory of the Lord and the sun and all the kings of the earth will bring in their glory. Praise God and light the way. That's kind of it. And then he's going to dwell on earth among men. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more crying, no more dying, no more woes. All the former things are gone. Hallelujah. What a wonderful time. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. Number one. We are to glorify God in worship. Oh, that's why we're here today. That's the one, a major purpose of our assembly here today is to worship God, to praise Him, to worship Him, and to glorify Him with our worship and with our praise because He's deserving of it. Is He deserving of it? Absolutely. Well, as a matter of fact, I want us to look at this Psalm 95. This Psalm 95, now remember, we're talking about to be effective. We have to have the right message. We have to write, have the right motive uh, and methods and mindset. So this provides it all. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Listen, this is a message. It's going to give us motive. It's going to show us also a method or methods and a mindset. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Is that what you've come to do this morning? If, if we had an understanding that we're creating habitation for him in our midst, we wouldn't be concerned about anything else but doing that. For the Lord, this is why, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills are his, is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. In other words, these are reasons why. These are proper motives. Why should we? Because he's the creator of all things. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Hallelujah. Look at the methods that are there. Come, worship, praise him, sing, bow, kneel before the Lord. He's our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, in other words, listen to what's being said, prophesied, spoken out through a psalm, through a hymn, through the, the writer here, which probably David. And what is he saying to do this? And he says, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your father's tempted me, prove me and saw my work. Don't harden your heart. Think, to what? To what his message is. Come prepared to worship. Come prepared to sing. Come prepared to shout the praise of Almighty God. And don't harden your heart when it comes to a time of magnifying God and glorifying God. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It's a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter to my rest. We glorify Him when we worship Him the way He wants us to worship Him, not how we think He should be worshipped, not what feels good to us, but the way he wants us to worship him is the way he should be worshipped because he is our God. Amen. Look at John's Gospel chapter 4 and verse 20 through 24. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and you say that in Jerusalem in this, the, is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this, in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You, sh you worship you know not what. 
We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. He is searching. He is looking. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must. Everybody say must. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit meaning from the heart. Truth meaning according to the way He wants us to worship Him. The way He is outlined in Scripture. The way that He has revealed Himself to us as far as worshiping Him is concerned. He has a right to do that, doesn't He? Absolutely. Look at Psalm 96. In Psalm 96, we see a continuation of the same thing. The right message. We're talking about the right motive and the methods. Hallelujah. And the mindset when it comes to truly coming together to worship God. And remember, this works for us collectively as well as individually. So what it's saying collectively is also true individually. And I believe if individually we'll have this attitude, then when we come collectively, look out, you can't. Oh, the presence, power, and the glory of God. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen. His wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord. O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, and bring an offering, and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, let all the earth say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful, and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood rejoice. Rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Hallelujah. You talk about a message. He's the creator of all things. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the sea and all that in them is. He established the bounds of the waters. shall not pass over. So let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the trees of the field clap their hands. Let the babbling brook sing forth the praise of God. And let everything and everyone that hath breath praise the Lord. So praise ye the Lord. Can we do that for a moment? Go ahead and praise Him. Hallelujah. We praise you this morning. We're here to bless you. We're here to honor you. We're here to glorify you. We're here to magnify you. Not to be entertained with anything but you, your presence, your power, your peace, your promises, provision and protection. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. We glorify Him. How? By worshiping Him and praising Him. That means we let Him know that we know you're our Creator. And so you're deserving of all honor, glory and power that we can give you. Hallelujah. Number two, discipleship. We also glorify Him by understanding discipleship and participating in it. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, here we have the advent of the Holy Spirit. And when He came, what did He do? He gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we all come into the unity of the, uh, of the faith, unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can you wrap your brain around that? So we all come to what? 
a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby the lying waiting to see, but speaking the truth and love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make it the increase of the body that edifying itself in love. So what do we have here? The fact is this. Salvation involves more than just a person being saved in his spirit. It is threefold. It involves his spirit, his soul, and his body. You see, salvation touches every realm or every dimension of man's being. His spirit needs regenerated. His soul needs renewed or transformed. His body needs controlled or crucified. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. What it tells us is this. Remember Jesus said, except you're born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Didn't he say that? Except a man be born of the water of the spirit. Okay, he, he said that. You must be born again. Well, when a man's born again, here's what happens. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation or a new species of being that never before existed is another translation. Old things passed away. All Behold, all things become new. It goes on to say, and all things are of God. And what is that referring to? When I got born again, I was still five foot six. My hair was still brown. I had more of it. But the list goes on and on. Okay? It didn't affect my body. When I got born again, it didn't affect my soul as, as much. But my spirit on the inside had a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because I passed from death to life. I knew I was born again. I knew I was a new creature or creation. I knew I had the life of God on the inside of me. That's the new birth. That's the spirit of man being washed in the blood of the Lamb, born again. Amen? And you had the same thing too in your life, right? But guess what? There's still a process to consider. My soul needs to be renewed and my body needs to be controlled. So look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And also, if you recall, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, The very God of peace sanctify you holy. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. Notice, spirit and soul and body. So he's talking about the tripart, three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. And we know he's coming. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your what? Your body is a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. See, he saved my spirit, but I've got a duty to perform. It's my responsibility to do something with my body, and it's yours as well, right? And then secondly, be not conformed to this world, but what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, notice those two things. Your spirit's been born again. But the soul has got to be renewed or transformed, and the physical body has got to be crucified or kept under. So those are the three parts of man. Now, biblically speaking, the terminology that is used here, and sometimes people get, you know, how can I understand that? But it's not that hard to understand. Justification. It starts with justification. Anybody here want to move to heaven when you leave this realm? What about the rest of you? Don't you want to move to heaven when you leave this realm? You sure do, don't you? Well, Jesus said you must be born again, right? Right. Well, I've got good news for all of us. You, you can't and could never justify yourself, which means make yourself right in the sight of God in order to go to heaven. 
But the good news is somebody did it for you. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus did it for you. And because Jesus bore our sin, sickness, disease, carried our pain, and because he became the curse on Calvary's tree, because he for a moment was separated from God, you and I eternally will be reunited with God. And not eternally separated. So guess what? Everyone in the world that lives is justified. Legally. Legally. But you see, there's another part to that. They've got to accept it. They've got to confess it. They have to believe in it for it to be a reality. It's not automatic, is it? Just because he did it doesn't mean it's automatic. So that's justification. And then there's regeneration. What is regeneration? When your spirit is born again. When your spirit receives the life and nature of God. See, that's why you're not born again when you dip in water and get baptized. Anybody can dip in water and get baptized. It is when you acknowledge you're a sinner, when you acknowledge you can't save yourself, when you and I acknowledge the fact that someone else did it for us, and I have to accept his sacrifice, and I say, I can't do it, so I resign myself to your way of salvation. It's your way I'm going to walk in. Jesus, I believe in your death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus, I confess you as the Lord of my life. And when you do that, he comes into you by his spirit and gives you a brand new heart, a brand new life. You're born again, washed in the blood. You're now a saint. You're a child of God, reconciled to God. Praise God. God, aren't you glad for that? That's regeneration. But then he said, of course, the mind needs to be dealt with, and he says it has to be renewed. That's called transformation. Transformation is the word metamorpho in the Greek. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. Uh, you know, you morph into something else, like the transformers morph into something else. They start out as a car, then they morph into this crazy creature that does all this damage and all that, right? Okay, well, once you've been born again, you've got to start morphing. Why? Because the way we think is not the way God thinks. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, right? And so we've got to start changing the way we think. Because if we want to not be conformed to this world, we can't continue thinking like the world. We've got to think the thoughts of God. We've got to get the Word of God. That's why we have the Word of God, to help us what? Save us from our what? Corrupt reasoning faculties. James said we need saved in our souls. So, in other words, I've got to get the mind of God and think how, start thinking the way he wants me to think. Remember Psalm 23? He restores our soul. Okay, so the, the spirit is regenerated, but the soul is restored, transformed, and change takes place. And that manifests itself in what is called sanctification. Sanctification is the body. The body needs to be controlled. The body needs to be crucified, right? So we do what? Crucify the flesh, we allow the life of the Spirit of God on the inside of us live. The character of Christ manifest. And now we call that sanctification or living the kind of life, a clean, pure life that He wants us to live. So it doesn't just mean we got saved and we ignore the Bible, we ignore crucifying the flesh, we don't renew our minds. You see, that's not the way it is. God wants us to be transformed. He wants transformed lives. He wants controlled bodies. He wants a sanctified, set apart for his use. And uh, that's, that's a major part of it. Look at Romans 8.29, because this reveals to us the ultimate goal we all should strive for. Now, everybody knows 8.28, right? For all things, we know all things work together for good, to them love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, right? Everyone can quote that, misquote it too, by saying all things work together for good, and then they take it out of its context and setting, and it doesn't really mean what it says. 
But how many know in verse 29? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is the ultimate goal? To conform to the image of Jesus. Hallelujah. What a goal. Remember Paul says, I want to know him. I want to be like him. I want to experience him, if at all possible, even in my flesh. I want the life that's on the inside of me to flow out of my soul and to get into my physical body to wherever I go. It just emanates from me the very life of God, the love of God, the nature of Christ everywhere I go. That's the ultimate goal. It's not just to come to church and just say we came to church. I want to be changed from glory to glory. That's why that's our confession of faith. I want to change from glory to glory. I want to be more like Jesus, look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, act more like Jesus. That should be our ultimate goal and aim. Now the motive, there's a motive. What's the motive? Look at Romans chapter 8. Same chapter, back it up just a little bit. Look at verse 22 to 25. See, we, we people have to be motivated to do something, right? That's why there's billboards with Big Macs all over them. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. That's why some of these have big whatever up there just to entice you to go get one. You weren't even hungry till you saw it, and all of a sudden you're... St- it was it. They had you. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. What is that? The redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, is he getting confused? I thought we were saved by faith. We are, but he's talking, that's the spirit. By grace are you saved through faith. But you see, your body is still in the pew. And mine's still walking around up here. Right? And you see, when the spirit and so leave the body... The body goes back to the dust of the earth, right? Sure. So you and I are not bodies. We are spirits having souls living in a body. And while we live in this body on this earth, this body cannot receive its salvation. It cannot receive its glorification. It cannot and will never be glorified while we are here on this planet. That's why when the graves are opened, the dead in Christ rise. And if we are alive and caught up, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Corruptible will put on incorruptibility. Mortal will put on immortality. So there is still the promise or the hope that we have. And hope is a motivating force. He that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure, right? The scripture says, so what is the hope? A glorified body someday. So why am I going to serve the Lord faithfully? Because I'm longing for a glorified body. And guess what? The, the degree of my glorified body is determined by how many people I lead to Christ or the work that I do for Him upon the earth. Those that lead many to the Lord shall shine as the stars of heaven, the Bible says. So we should be actively do what? doing what? Being engaged in the work of the Lord because our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we live our lives not to please ourselves, in this flesh, but we live our lives to abide by the commandments of God so we can honor Him, glorify Him, serve Him with our lives because we're motivated because we have a desire to have a glorified body someday that will shine like the stars of heaven. But look at the second one. Again, Brother Mark sang about it here this morning. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Anybody here have a loved one that's left this realm and they're in glory right now? <clears throat> okay. Well, guess what? You're motivated to continue the path that you're on because someday this is going to happen. I would not that you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others that have no hope. See, this is our blessed hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain uh, unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, but the voice of the archangel with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so... In this process of discipleship, you see, we are growing and we're motivated because we want a glorified body and we want to see our loved ones on the other side in glory as well. That's a powerful motivation, wouldn't you say? Both of them. But then look at the, the mindset. Look at the next uh, part of this. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Here Paul writing to young Timothy. Said many things to young Timothy about young people. Uh, don't let any man despise your youth. Be an example of, and he named six things they should be an example of. Okay, but here. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let every one that names the name of Christ. Have you named the name of Christ? Depart from iniquity. Why? But in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So what is the mindset? I want to be used of God. I want to be a vessel of honor, prepared or meet for the master's use. I want him to be able to use me to conduct business for him here upon the earth. I want him to use me by the power of his Holy Spirit to affect the lives of other people everywhere I go. I want to be used by him as a vessel of honor. I want to be known by him as a vessel of honor. Look at uh, the book of Philippians chapter 2. Here the apostle Paul writing to the different churches uh, saying these things. If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded. This is the mindset. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, uh, but in loneliness of mind let us each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you that was in also in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, who in the form of God, thought I'm not wrong to be called equal with God, but made himself a reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and went to the cross, endured the cross, suffered the shame, and all that. And God highly exalted him, right? So what is he saying to us? Have the same mind. Be humble. Humble yourself in the sight of Almighty God. Live a life of humility. Live a life of surrender. Give yourself over to Him in spirit, soul, and in body. See to it that you live a, live a sanctified, set-apart life. In other words, we shouldn't be like the world. We should want the world to be like us. Amen? So the church should be living in such a way that they want us. They want what we have. And you know what? I believe the closer that it gets to His return, it's going to be that way. They're going to see that we're not moved by all this stuff that's going on. I don't know about you. I'm not moved by climate change. I know the weatherman. I know the meteorologist. How about you? Absolutely. So I'm not moved by that. 
And you say, but what about, you know, the third world war? And what about nuclear bombing? And all? I'm not worried about that either. Because I know there's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Christ upon this earth. And the only one that's going to see to it that this earth is changed by fire is the Lord himself. That's why we know that in advance. So we shouldn't be moved by any of that, right? Okay, there's so much more to say along this line of discipleship. But think about it. Number one, it's important that we understand that we're here to what? Worship God. And that's why we join together. To worship him in spirit and in truth. Also, another function of the church is to do what? Provide discipleship so we can learn. Our young people are learning to know God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. They're learning about the Trinity and the Godhead. They're learning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues and the gifts of the Spirit and their operation. They're learning about all these things at a young age, praise God. And they have a better advantage than what you and I had for many of us because we didn't grow up in it. But they're learning about that. They're being disciples so that they can rise up and take their place. I'm not saying when they get older... Remember, he said, don't let any man despise your youth. They taught them from a young age to serve the Lord and walk with him and honor him. Hallelujah. Okay, the third one is what? Evangelism. Every single one of us is called to evangelize the world that we live in. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. We glorify God through world evangelism. And Jesus, of course, before he goes into parts to be uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink anything, it won't hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen. You talk about an active church. You talk about a powerful church, a, power, a church operating in the power of God. This is called power evangelism. Power evangelism. In other words, telling people that God saves. He heals. He delivers. He sets free. He makes people whole. He restores life. He heals up the, the broken heart. abides up all their wounds. And if you've got shattered dreams, he'll put them back together. Praise God. Give you a new dream that goes beyond the dream you ever had in the first place. We serve that kind of a God. The world needs to know that. Well, what is the message that we have to give to the world? I know, realize, I realize some people say, I'm, I'm timid, I'm shy, I don't know what to say. Simple things. Don't make it so complex. Simple things. Like what? Well, first of all, did you know that you're an eternal spirit being and you will never cease to exist? Really? Yeah. You're going to live forever. You have any children? Oh, yes. Well, when they were brought into the world, did you know you brought into the world an eternal spirit being that will never, ever, ever cease to exist? I didn't know that. Oh, we all need to know that. Anybody plan on living on earth forever? And never dying? I'm talking about your flesh now. No. We know we don't live on earth forever. And guess what? That strikes a chord with every human being on the planet. You will die someday. Okay. He may not come in our lifetime. He may. He may come tomorrow. But the fact is, you are an eternal spirit being, and you will never cease to exist. You're an eternal personality. Okay? Number two, you're living in the land of the dying. Read the obituaries. People die every day. But when you die, you're going to go somewhere where people never die. It's called the land of the living. And people that have already made that journey, they're living in the land of the living. 
And guess what? Where you spend your eternal living is not up to God. It's up to you. No one can miss this. It's up to you. You see, because God already made provision for you to be where He wants you to be, but He doesn't twist your arm to make you choose what He has chosen for you. So you see, you're an eternal spirit being. You're not going to live forever because you're living in the land of the dying and when you die you go to the land of the living and where you spend your eternal living will be determined by what you choose to do with your free moral agency because God gave you a free will. And that's the bottom line. So you've got to choose. You've got a choice to make. Amen. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 8. You ready for this? But God shows and clearly proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. You see, He's made provision for all of us. And what we need to tell people, besides you're an eternal spirit being, you'll never cease to exist. You're living in the land of the dying, and when you die, you're going to go to the land of the living. And that's eternal. Where you spend your eternal living is based on the decision that you make. But as far as God's concerned, you know what? I want to tell you what God thinks of you. Now, maybe you've got some peers that don't think highly of you. Some think you're too short, some think you're too tall. Some thinks, you know, you're too this, too that. Too smart, not smart enough. Too poor, too rich. Whatever people think about you. Maybe your family has told you certain things about you and expressed their thoughts about you. And the list goes on and on. And all these thoughts that people have of you. But I want you to know something today. God thinks so much of you that he thought you were worth dying for. That's what he thought of you. And that's what he thinks of you. And greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Your value, your worth is found in the sacrifice of the Son of God who thought so highly of you. He does not want you to spend an eternity apart from Him. He wants you to be in the bliss of His presence. He wants you to experience the sphere of the heavenly glory. He wants you to walk with Him on streets of gold. He wants you to celebrate life eternally, hallelujah, with Him in a place that has no sorrow, no sighing, no crying, no dying, no more woes. All the former things of this life are gone. All tears are wiped away from your eyes. You will celebrate throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Things that your eyes haven't seen and your ears haven't heard or neither has entered into your heart the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. By His Spirit, He gives us a glimpse of it all, doesn't He? You see, people need to know this. And then... If they understand that, praise God, then they'll know that Romans chapter 8 is their responsibility. Um, you talk about putting it on a silver platter. I don't know how much easier God could have made it. He says this, I'll do all the work, then I'll just give you the key. I'll construct the whole thing, I'll build the whole house, I'll lay the foundation, I'll build the house, I will give you the key, the term key. Look at what it says. See, he did all the work for your salvation and my salvation. And young people, listen to this. He's done it for you. And no matter how young you are, praise God. 
He thinks highly of you. He thinks so highly of you that he died for you as well. And even in your youth, you can celebrate the things of God and live for him. Now, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth. It's near you in your mouth, in your heart, the word of faith, which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made the salvation. The scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever, everybody say whosoever. Are you a whosoever this morning? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All he left us to do is that. He did all the work. He created the world, the heaven and the earth, and seen all that in them is. And when man rebelled against God, hallelujah, he still provided redemption for man. It took him seven days, six days to complete creation. On the seventh day, he rested. But then for 4,000 years, it took him to get the Messiah into the world to redeem mankind from his fallen state. But he still did that, praise God, because of his love for mankind. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been raised up from the dead after he defeated death, hell, and the grave and took upon himself everything that you and I should have taken upon ourselves. He did all that work of suffering for us. All we have to do is say, I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. I believe in his death, burial, resurrection. Jesus, I deny myself to take up my cross and follow you. And guess what? Boom, you pass from death to life. You become a child of Almighty God. And now you're on your way to glory. But along the way, he said, I'm going to clean you up. Is that okay to let him clean us up? You want him to clean you up? Okay, well, I'm glad you said that. Because let's look at Matthew. We're going to close with this conclusion. Look at Matthew 21, because this is something that Jesus said about his dwelling place. See, when we say church... Sometimes I think we just think of a physical building that we go to. No, dwelling place. We are his church. We are his dwelling place individually and collectively. We provide a habitation for God in our midst, okay? Now, you recall that Jesus, when he first came to the earth and began his ministry, at the outset of his ministry, what did he do? Cleansed the temple. Before he left to go back to heaven, what did he do? Cleansed the temple. Okay, so keep that in mind as we read these verses. And Jesus went to the temple of God and cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, said to them, it is written, my house, my what? My dwelling place, my house. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, it was the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, right? And in the era of the gospel it was really him okay and now it's us right he said that in my house is what a house of prayer and what did he do but you've made it a den of thieves and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children of children crying in the temple saying hosanna the son of david they were sore displeased when they should have been really happy 
and said unto him, Hearest thou not what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Okay, putting it in its context, what do we see Jesus doing? He goes in and he cleanses the temple. It's a house of purity. What does he do? He brings in those. Or he then says it's a house of prayer. It's where people connect with God, where they meet with God, where they interact with God. Did you come to meet God here this morning? I'm sure you did. Not just me. You've, you've come, not even for each other, but you've come to get into the presence of God, to, to get yourself out of the business of the day and whatever's going on in your life, just to set this aside of time to say, God, it's all you. It's 100% you. Nothing else matters right here, right now, during this hour and a half. It is all about you. So I'm here to bless you. I'm here to worship you. Okay, so it's a house of purity. He cleansed the temple. It's a house of prayer. He said you should pray. He brings in the sick. It's the house of power because he heals them and delivers them and sets them free. And when they start grumbling and complaining because they were upset because it wasn't being used the way they wanted it to be used as a house of what? Thieves? As a den of thieves? He said, you better stop what you're doing here. Can't you see what they're saying? They're praising you like as if you were the Messiah or something. And he says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? God has perfected what? Praise. So what is my house? It is a house of purity. It is a house of prayer. It is a house of power. It's a house of perfected praise. And why did he cleanse it? There was a reason why he cleansed it two times at the beginning and at the end. You know why? Because human nature is as such that what? We begin a work, it's easy to fall back to the way we were. We start on a program, it's easy to revert back to things from the past. And so people start started walking with God, doing it the right way. But like human nature is, we fall back, we revert, we go back to our old habits, our old ways, etc. You know, once you get saved, you're the house of God. The glory of God is in you. You start walking with God, serving God, faithfully, excited about God. A little bit down the road, you don't read your Bible as much. A little bit down the road, you don't go to church as much. A little bit down the road, you don't give them to the Lord to, worship, to honor Him with your giving. A little, little bit, a little bit at a time, people begin to fall back and go back into a rut to regress and go backwards instead of forward into things of God. So he says, what's important? To see to it that because that's human nature, it needs constant cleaning. I know about your mother. I know about my mother. My mother is meticulous. She'll be celebrating 87th birthday on next Saturday. And I'm telling you, um, my father right now is a, a really challenged in his life. He's, uh, he fell. He's in the hospital. He's in a, in a nursing home, and, but, et cetera, et cetera. My mother right by his side, 87 years old. And, you know, so I went to pick her up to go take her to the hospital. And I said, Mom, what's going on? She said, well, I was up at 4 o'clock this morning, and I spent two hours cleaning the stove. I said, run that by me again one more time. She said, yeah, you've got to see my mother's stove. My mother's stove has a refrigerator next to it on this side. And then, of course, there's a counter on this side. And there's a little gap between both the refrigerator and the countertop, right? And laid out on top of the stove under the burners. It's a gas stove. Under the burners is aluminum foil all the way up the back, all the way across the top, and then up the wall. And then the gap between has got aluminum foil that goes this way to see to it that no grease gets down the hole on this side. No grease gets down the hole on this side. And I said, why are you cleaning it? All the burners are off. They're all on the countertop and all that. And I says, and why did you start at 4 o'clock in the morning? I had to get it done. She lives by herself right now. 
she likes a clean house is what I'm trying to say. She's meticulous. She likes a clean house, etc., etc. And guess what? I found out Jesus likes a clean house. My house is a house of purity. You see, they were using it for their profane motives, to, for their own advantage, for their own personal gain. They were merchandising the anointing, the anointing. They were taking advantage of the people. They knew they had to buy turtle doves. They knew they had to have sacrifices. So they overcharged them and overcharged them. They had to exchange their money because they had a different kind of money that was coming in from different areas, you know. And so they charged them so much to, to exchange their money. They were taking advantage. And Jesus stopped that whole business and said, get out of here clean this thing up this is not what my house is all about it's loving people blessing people meeting with god meeting their needs helping them rise up healing them and making them whole and setting them free that's what it's about he likes a clean house well where does that leave us second corinthians chapter six look at what it says right on through verse seven one chapter seven verse one what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell where? In them. And I will walk where? In them. And I will be your God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters. My sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, what promises of his indwelling presence, of us being a part of his royal family, of us being his sons and his daughters in which he inhabits us. He lives in us while we're living on the earth. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Jesus left, but I'm sending you the Holy Ghost. He's going to live in you. He's going to be your comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. He'll guide you in all the truth. Speak to what he hears of the Father and show you things to come. His indwelling presence will be the witness that you're in the right direction or the wrong direction. So in other words, he says, I'm going to live in you, but... What's important to do? Cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did you hear that? Cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's something we do. Cleanse yourself, he said. Remember why? Don't you know, he said, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have a God and you're not your own. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which belong to God. So in other words, salvation is threefold. I was saved when my spirit was born again. I'm being saved because my mind's being renewed. I'm being delivered from the corrupt way I think. And I will be saved when this body, praise God, comes out of the grave and is glorified and changed. Hallelujah. To be immortal and incorruptible. And the last thing, look at this, Titus chapter, chapter 2. Um, that why this is so important for, for, especially our young people, but for all of us. I know we preach a strong message that we've been blessed. That we have an inheritance. And that by faith we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Aren't you glad you've been blessed? Has he blessed your coming in? Has he blessed your going out? Has he blessed you in the city? Has he blessed you in the field? Has he blessed your rising up? Has he blessed your lying down? Has he blessed you in spirit and soul and body, materialistically, socially, etc., etc.? Is the blessing of the Lord upon you? Amen. Don't forget any of his benefits. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your disease, right? And we believe we have a powerful inheritance, right? And a future with him in, in glory. But you know what? The grace of God teaches us something else. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for the blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee for saying so. Don't you want to be challenged this morning? Don't we want to be motivated to grow in God? Amen. Don't we? It's not just about, okay, I'm saved, I've been born again, and I'm sitting in church and all that. It's about, I know I'm born again, I have the life of God, but I'm changing the way I think. I want to conform to the image of Jesus and be transformed so I can be the person He wants me to be in the flesh, so I can live my life sanctified and set apart to honor the living God that I serve. Praise God, right? Isn't that what we should all want? So the grace of God teaches us what? To live right, doesn't it? Holy lives, godly lives. And finally, another thing He said, and here it is in Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this, and upon this rock I will build my church. Whose church is it? Whose building is it? Whose dwelling place in it is it? Are you ready for this? You are his church. You are his dwelling place. I will. Then he say, tear down the temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. Well, did he do it? He sure did. And where is it? You, me. And collectively, we are the church, we are the temple, we are the dwelling place of the living God. I will build my church, and what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys for the operation of the kingdom of God or heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose, shall be loosed in heaven. One translation says, what you bind, will, having been bound out of heaven, will be bound. What you loose, having been loosed out of heaven, will be loosed. So in other words, He has given us supreme authority in the earth as we live in these temples, as we live our lives in the earth as a body of believers to do what? Wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness. And as they were operating in the power of the Spirit, bind the work of Satan loose the work of God, release the power of angels, and so on and so forth. Why? So that we could be called the church triumphant, the dwelling place of the Most High God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So that's what he said about his church. Oh, let's praise him. Come on, praise and worship team. Come on up here. He does not want us to be defeated individually or collectively as a church body he wants us to be triumphant over all the powers of the enemy over all the powers of darkness so no matter what you're facing here this morning or today in your life no matter what you're going through remember this you are so highly thought of that your savior died for you and that he took you and he built his life within you and now you're a child of the most high god you're the temple of the living god and the glory of God is in you. You've got this treasure in an earthen vessel. The glory of God lives in you. For what purpose? To serve Him, honor Him, glorify Him, and then worship Him and be changed and then evangelize the world that you live in. 